Hello and welcome to Build Momentum, where we make PR easy for education organizations. This show was created to help edtech startups, research institutes, and schools learn how to develop simple, replicable PR strategies and how to execute on those strategies. I'm your host, Sarah Williamson, and I've spent the past 15 years working in PR where I've been able to understand what works and what does it when it comes to making an impact. I will share my tips for success and interview others who have done the same to provide you with the framework that you can use within your own organization. Be sure to grab my free guide, How to Create a Killer Case Study, even if you don't have data, at casestudy.swpr-group.com. That's casestudy.swpr-group.com. And on today's episode, we have the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Rod Berger, a communications and media expert who writes about thought leadership and education for Forbes and has previously contributed to Scholastic and the Huffington Post. Dr. Berger has interviewed the likes of Sal Khan, former U.S. Department of Education Secretary Arnie Duncan, Ministers of Education, best-selling author Daniel Pink, Sir Ken Robinson, and leading EdTech investors. Dr. Berger has previously served in leadership and advisory roles for EdTech companies in a guest lecture at Vanderbilt University's Owen Graduate School of Management. Do you mind if I call you Rod instead of Dr. Berger? Please. Okay, good. <laughs> Let's talk PR. I'm so honored to have you on the show today. Would you mind sharing a bit more of your education and communications background with us? Because I know we know you write for Forbes and you're kind of famous. Oh, no. <laughs> but we'd love to know more about your PR background. Uh, look, I think... <laughs> thanks. That's very nice, Sarah. My background, I, I would actually connect it to public speaking, even as a youth, learning about the spoken word. I had mm-hmm. an educator when I was in high school that I don't know what it was. I guess he saw something in me and he said, you need to come along to this after school club and work on supporting kids and communities and all these wonderful things. And as a part of that, public speaking was a needed role in this group. And I was designated whether I liked it or not. And so I was, as a teenager, speaking around the country to schools about making good choices and parent communication, self-esteem. And I really feel like that was the origin for me. Well, I that would make me nervous. But, you know, when you're a kid, you just kind of do what you're told in that regard. But it really sort of taught me that I think the tenets of storytelling and understanding how to connect your own position with that of the people in your audience, whether that's in person or not. So I really feel like that's the origin for me. You know, I have worked in PR marketing for a number of years. I had my own agency for a number of years and worked with companies all over the world. And it was a great honor to be able to do that and to work with groups that big and small accomplished at varying degrees and with leaders that really cared about what they were doing in the education space. I'll say one of the things that I really enjoy probably the most is, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I enjoy media coaching and really talking with those that are going to be the public voice or megaphone for their brand and helping them understand the fit, right? Mm -hmm. So like the why, why are they doing this and what's their role? And I think that that's a really neat place to be in. But that's a long sort of Forrest Gump way of saying that this has been in my blood. I enjoy it. I think it's an evolving space that both you and I occupy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love the storytelling aspect of what we do. I think that's what it's all about. It's authentically telling the stories of the people who are running these big companies. Because really, that's what people care about. They don't care about a brand. They care about the people behind the brand, right? They do. They want to understand the ecosystem that you reside in. I think that that's one of the biggest errors that companies, especially large companies, can make is that it becomes all about the product. Totally. And it's not about the ambiance. It's not about how they fit within that larger ecosystem. It doesn't mean they have to be an expert. 
in another subject area or another technology. It's just that they understand sort of the role, how people understand them, how the budgets maybe align or they don't. That impacts your brand story. Mm -hmm. That impacts who represents your brand. That impacts who you connect with as a collaborative partner. Themes and storylines that you may or may not want to be a part of or associated with. So I think there's so much there when it comes to storytelling. I agree. So one of the things we talk a lot about on the show is thought leadership. And I know you write a lot about thought leadership and you have opinions on that. Everyone can define thought leadership differently. I'm curious about how you would describe it. Well, maybe I will describe it based on what it is not in my estimation. Okay. Thought leadership to me is not a white paper. It is not a professional paper. It is not what I would say is actually just sort of product marketing. It's content marketing around a product. That's not thought leadership to me. Mm-hmm. I can have anybody sort of be a representative or a spokesperson that talks about the benefits of the coffee maker I have in my kitchen. That doesn't mean that they have a sort of thorough understanding of the role coffee plays in my life or in sort of everybody's life. Mm-hmm. And so thought leadership, I think, gets diluted because people think that it is sort of everything and then nothing at all. Right. So, and I think it does a disservice. And social media plays a role in that too. You know, you can't be a thought leader and then look at your Twitter feed and have it be all about a product, sort of all about you. It's an extension of a vanity play that you might see in in the major press. Right. There's no, but what's the real benefit other than sending it to your friends and family so you can say that you've been in some major publication? Thought leadership to me is can you hold a conversation Mm -hmm. with others in the space where you could ask? It's not about what you can share. It's about the questions that you can actually put into the group, right? That you can utilize as a precursor to a conversation where all parties are going to learn something. That to me is thought leadership. And not everybody can pull that off. Mm-hmm. No, but thinking of my listeners of the show, you know, some of them are education technology companies. Some of them are even school district leaders. How would you recommend that they start thinking about incorporating some of those strategies. I try to make it really practical on the show where what could they do to think more practically about implementing that in their own companies with their leaders? So you're asking for the secret sauce. So the, the recipe to the meatloaf. Yeah, would you give it a... <laughs> would you mind? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I don't know if it's as easy as sort of a you know one paragraph answer right. in that regard. But I would say that I think some of it has to go, it's sort of old school business and understanding your competition, understanding your spit, you know, and sort of the arc of your company and whether or not the audience or the consumer uh, cares about what you have to offer. And so if that's your approach or that's the vantage point you take, then I think you can actually build out some interesting thoughts about why people should care about the product that you have or the service that you have. You know, in essence, the why it's important. And I think one of the things you have to do in that, those initial stages is figure out who is going to be a representative, who's going to speak to it. Because I've known plenty of CEOs and let's just say C-suite leadership that are amazing human beings, but they don't want to be on the other side of a quote. They don't want to have a microphone in front of them. And that's perfectly fine and appropriate. There are different types of CEOs, like there are different types of coffee <laughs> going back to it. Right. But it doesn't mean you force feed them, right? You don't force feed that in the role that they are playing in building out a company. But in PR and marketing, you also have to have someone that's going to take up that mantle. They're going to hold on to that and embrace that. So I think understanding mm-hmm. you know, the why and then the who, because that will help extend, I think, strategic opportunities. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how many conversations I've had off the record and you know, off the microphone when you talk to school districts and leaders of school districts, and they talk about why products are either purchased or not. And most of the time, in my experience, is because they have learned about a product through multiple mediums, right? And it was never a product pitch. It was hearing a conversation on a podcast from a CEO 
or hearing a teacher describe what mm-hmm. that product or service has done to the classroom for the students. It's never been sort of this marketing slick or email campaign. By the way, that's one of the biggest misnomers, and I think disservices our industry. <laughs> so, yes, Sarah, let's create an email campaign and inundate the inbox of a district personnel who's probably just sitting there waiting for you to send it. <laughs> it's it, it just sort of goes into the ether. They're right? definitely going to buy when they read that email. They're so going to buy. Yes. And the sad truth of it is most of those emails don't even reach the intended target. They go to someone who mm-hmm. is a gatekeeper. And you know the only way it really gets through is if you know somebody, right? You have to get out. You have to be out into mm-hmm. the open. Now, that's been obviously very difficult with a pandemic, but hopefully that's going to change over time. And we've gotten used to digital means of communication and engaging and building relationships. But I think old school methods of reaching out, and that's part of your question is what should you do? Be different. Think about why you're doing what you're doing. You might have some employees or thought leaders within your company that can provide some incredible sound bites, perspective and strategy. It doesn't always have to be the CEO. Nothing against CEOs. I've been one myself. But I really agree with that. Right? I mean, you can find some really interesting folks that can do that. On the district side of it, I think it's being diverse with your message about the why the district is important in the community. Right? We all know the transient nature of leadership in districts. And I understand that professionally, just as a market in general. right? And so that does impact how business is done. Now, that can be the, to the benefit of the vendor. Because if, Sarah, you've been a superintendent in, you know, U.S. City X, and now you're moving to U.S. City Y, you keep moving around, well, you're going to bring the relationships that you've already, the existing relationships with you to the next post that you hold. That can be incredibly beneficial to education companies that have spent the time, right, to build up those relationships. It's never just about the message, right? It's about everything and the message. Yeah, it's about the people. I mean, it's about that relationship you have with that person. And I also think it's about solving a problem. What problem are you solving? And thinking from that perspective, instead of, let me consider why my product is going to work for you and talk at you, right? (laughs) I agree. And I would add to that. I would say one of the things I think it's always dangerous. We know this, you know, you'd never want to assume and I'll leave it, I'll keep it clean for your audience. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the assumption is that the, the district under, fully understands and comprehends maybe some of the challenges that lay before them. Well, that's, I think that that is dangerous because they're juggling so many balls in the air that to think that they have a full grasp on what your product is answering, I think is fool's gold. There is a bit of education, right? I mean, there's an irony there, but as the provider, there is a bit of education as to sort of identifying what those challenges are, what the long sort of tail issues could be, and then aligning that with what you perceive is going on potentially in that district and seeing if you can find common ground. But I find a lot of districts, I don't blame them. I mean, it's incredibly hard to understand all the different challenges that are sort of at your feet as district leadership and or a school board. And sometimes I think, especially in the technology world, we just assume that they're going to tell us, Sarah, this is my challenge. This is my problem. Well, that may or may not be the case. We might need to step back 10,000 feet because my product might not help you in that area. But I need to also demonstrate that I'm spending the time to get to know your problem or your challenges and or where things are going well and or maybe how neighboring or like-minded districts of the same size and scope are approaching a challenge. So it goes into understanding the people and the entities that you're selling to that impacts your message. Otherwise, you're just a press release machine factory. (laughs) And I know you and I have talked off air about not wanting to be a a press machine factory or a press release (laughs)
Are you an education leader, the leader of an ed tech company, or a member of an organization supporting education? We continue to hear from leaders like you who have a story to tell, a message to share, or an important initiative that needs greater awareness. Three years ago, that's exactly what we heard from Doug Roberts, the CEO of the Institute for Education Innovation, when he approached SWPR Group. This led to the launch of a groundbreaking new award that was unlike any other in EdTech. The Soup's Choice Awards, judged exclusively by K-12 superintendents, set IEI on a path to market dominance, increasing vendor partners and superintendent members by more than 30% year over year. Jamie Candy, the CEO of Edmentum, shared with SWPR Group the EdTech company's desire to tell district success stories and to elevate the leaders behind their organization in a more thoughtful and strategic way. Throughout the past two years, SWPR Group has established consistent and regular media coverage, authored compelling op-eds, and secured interviews highlighting success stories while also inserting Edmentum into timely topics like AI with national reporters. At SWPR Group, we provide public relations, communication strategies, and thought leadership support for today's changemakers and the brands they champion. We work together with our clients to bring their mission to life by consistently delivering high-quality content, creative communication strategies, and transformational results. What story do you want to tell? Reach out to us using the link in the show notes or visit our website at swpr-group.com. that for a minute. I want to talk about the press release. Okay. So you are essentially both a PR expert and a media expert. You stood on both sides of the fence. So you are pitched to by people like me and people who work with me. And then you also are pitching people. Well, not anymore, but you know, you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Tell me about the press release and yes, it's not dead, but does it have value? And when does it have value? Can we just talk about that for a minute? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The press release buys the PR professional about 90 seconds of latitude when they're speaking with their client. That's what it does. (laughs) Because you've got 90 seconds to talk about the penetration of that press release. And nobody knows, including the PR professional, if it really had any impact at all. And it's sort of, you know, in the old school pre-COVID, you would sit, if you were internal, you'd sit in a conference room and you would go around the room and talk about developments. And, you know, those in charge of comms would say, oh, well, we had a press release go out this week. And everybody would sort of nod their head because they don't want to be the one that says, why the heck are we doing this? Like, what's the ROI on that press release other than I think I can let my family know and it looks sort of important. Now, look, press releases, they get a bad rap for a number of reasons. If they are a part of an integrated plan, a strategic plan, fine. They can be very appropriate as part of. They should not be the main meal. They are the subtle, it's like you're having a five or seven course meal and all of a sudden the server brings a candle to the table and you say, well, that is a nice addition. I appreciate that candle being, you know, it is not the steak. (laughs) It should never be the steak. It is a news item for investors. (laughs) It is a news item for your employees to see, wow, I guess we're doing something, but I don't know it because I'm a developer, right? And I'm working on my sprints and oh, I heard there was a press release. I guess we should feel good about our position or our job. I just don't find them to be you know, terribly valuable on the surface because I don't know, no one is going to buy a product based on a press release. Right. I like to think of them as awareness for stakeholders like investors, 
boards, even competitors. It's nice for the competitors to see, hey, we're doing this too, or cool, we're up to. It's a general awareness, but it's definitely not for media purposes. That's what I like to share with my clients. So I'm glad you agree. Minimize the number of press releases, and that would be helpful, I think, for your yes, company. I think please, we both agree. Save planet Earth. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, Rod. So on the kind of a similar topic, how do you like to receive pitches, media pitches? What can people do to build better relationships with media personalities like yourself? Well, I definitely have opinions about this because it is so no. easy to spot. I know, I know. It is so easy, Sarah, to spot a pitch that was genuinely sort of born from, from a genuine interest in that reporter, right? So like their beat, the publication, but I would say a healthy 75% of pitches that I receive are absolutely all over the map. And it would be really refreshing. Now I hope your audience is smaller than I think, because then I don't want to get this, but it would almost be refreshing if someone just sent a pitch and said, look, I don't really know who you are, Rod, but I see you've got a byline with Forbes. And that means a lot to me. You know what I mean? That would, I would laugh at that and probably just just be honest, you know? Yeah. I'm actually, maybe I'm foolish there, but I actually respond to most pitches because I want them to know that wow. it was received because I don't like, I don't like that in any instance. If you put something out there, nobody responds. I just think it's professionally rude. It's you, you lack a sense of decorum and that will come back to bite you because there's going to be something mm-hmm. that you want maybe and if no one responds. That can be disheartening. But I do have a bit of fun when mm-hmm. they break some basic rules. My name has three letters in it. If you can't get those three letters correct, I'm not going to read the email. But you wouldn't believe how that happens. Right. The other is when they send me things and it's truly just, they're just wanting the publication. They have no clue the beat that I write on or that I cover. And, you know, I'll get something that'll be completely off the wall. I mean, it's just, you know, it'll be a product that has nothing to do with education. And so I'll actually, I'll entertain it. And I'll send them back an email that says, I am more than happy to consider this pitch, Sarah. If you could just please connect the dots for me, because I'm just feeling a bit foggy today. How do you envision espresso machines fitting with education, right? And I rarely get a response back Uh (laughs) to that. But I I like to respond. I I have even, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I was pitched an idea. I thought it was relatively interesting and it did have some teeth into education. There's a different sector that's trying to play in education. Let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. So this PR rep asked me to interview the CEO of this startup in this industry. So I, I agreed because I wanted to learn more about it. I thought it was potentially compelling. The CEO was incredibly nice. He would make for a great neighbor. I'd probably share a couple of beers with the guy, throw the football, like just a nice human being. But he was, goes back to an earlier point. He was not effective as the pitch guy. He couldn't answer the basic questions about the business for me to be able to connect the dots, sort of plug into the amp and make sure that we could actually tell a story that mattered. Yeah, And so when we were done with the Zoom, I asked the PR rep if they could stay on the Zoom with me and we'd just sort of let the CEO go and do CEO things. And I actually gave feedback to this individual. I said, look, I've been in your shoes and I'd love to be able to do a story because I think on its surface, it's interesting. But basically, this individual is not a good interview and I am not going to water down my effort. And the great thing about it was, you know, this individual was incredibly professional and it was quite enlightening because she's like, I know she admitted the challenge she was having in representing this individual. So for me, it's just be honest in the pitch, right? And at least give some sense that you spent some time in understanding who you're pitching to. Totally. Look, we all get it. If you're part of a mass mailing, 
your name might be at the top, but the spacing between hello, Sarah, and then diving into my first paragraph, that was a pretty sizable white space. That's when you know, okay, this was a cattle call. We are all extras in a Hollywood movie. <laughs> and uh, that's what bothers me. <laughs> Spend time, yeah. know who you're sending it to, and right. you're probably going to get a response from people. It's just no one wants to be part of a cattle call. We all want to feel special. You know, we just do. I don't care how old you are. That never leaves us. Such great advice. Love that. Okay. I just have to tell a quick story. I had Kanoi Namahoy on the show from Smart Brief. Do you know her? I'm sure you know Kanoi. Yeah, I do. She was telling me how she constantly receives this pitch about puppets. She's like, I mean, it's just crazy. It's like I get this puppet pitch all the time. It just reminds me of this, like, know your audience, people, right? Yes. I don't think I've ever been pitched about a puppet. I have not done that. Very oh, silly. You know, let me add one more thing. Being condescending in your pitch probably will not secure you an opportunity. Huh. By the way, sales folks do this. Not that education is special, but education sales can be accused of this, I'll say. Yeah. I will leave it to the court of public opinion, but don't try to educate the receiver of your message on what they should know, right? Like that frame is probably, no. the, I get that probably more than anything. You know, Rod, you should know about... Sarah's unbelievable. Right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> that, I don't know where Crazy. someone has a book somewhere that said that oh, that was the Okay, approach. right. Yes. So I we just have a couple minutes left. I want to make sure I hear about your new book. Well, my new book. Do you want to talk about it or no? No, well, here's what I'll say about it. So I am working on a book on the experience of being a business owner that services education. And I guess what I would, regardless of the topic, I will just say this. It is one thing to write and to put an article together. It's one thing to put a pitch together. It's one thing to ghostwrite a blog for a client. Yeah. But, you know, when you actually sit down to write a manuscript, boy, you better just get ready. I feel like I need to install a seatbelt into my office chair because I want to just get out of my seat more often than not because it's just such a daunting experience. But I think it can be very productive for any of us that are working in a communications role to even think or contemplate or work up a treatment on a book and a concept because it really puts you front and center with what a lot of your clients are going through, especially in a world of self-publishing, right? Where the opportunity to be able to get your voice out there, we've never had this before. And it's just, it's not going away. It's only getting more, I think, diverse yeah. and uh, exciting for people to get their voice out there and not just in, in written form. So I'll just say it's a very interesting experience. One where I should invest in post-it notes because, you know, color-coded post-its become your friend in organizing your ideas. <laughs> yeah. And here's my healthy yeah. tip is when you're writing anything, try to find ways to just sort of turn your brain off. It's so true. that's like an amusement park ride that just keeps going and going and you're waiting. You're on the ride going, where's the attendant? Can we stop this? I'm starting to feel nauseous. <laughs> so true. Yes. Good advice. Okay, we'll watch for more on that. That's a sneak peek. Where can my listeners hear more about you or reach you or send you pitches? Oh, where do boy. you want to be? <laughs> boy, you're helping me out there. Just kidding. No, no, they can reach me at, I'm pretty available. Even on Twitter, I put my personal email where a lot of my pitches come in at. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn, feel, I use LinkedIn religiously. Yeah. That's where we chat all the time. That's right. Mm -hmm. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. I do appreciate pitches for sure. So don't get me wrong on that. I think if they're they good. are informing. If they're good, if they're good. If not, I'll still respond and hopefully you'll see the humor in it. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, Rod, it was so fun talking with you today. I loved it. 
Thank you. Likewise. You're refreshing. No, this is a lot of fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm something. I don't know if it's refreshing, but I'm going to take that today. Yes, uh, continued it. success for you. You're a great example of what good communications professionals should be and aspire to be. Oh, thank you. So I'm a big fan of yours from afar. I know we are far in distance in mileage, but close in sentiment and spirit in what we both do. So keep up the great work. And I appreciate being invited into your show. Thank you, Rod. Thanks so much. Yes. And Build Momentum listeners, don't forget to grab my free guide to creating a killer case study, even if you don't have data. Again, that's available at casestudy.swpr-group.com, casestudy.swpr-group.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and write us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you choose to listen. We will be back with another episode of Build Momentum next week. Thanks so much and have a fantastic day.